0: to Junior Doctors Corner, the podcast that helps medical students and junior doctors like yourself not only survive, but thrive in your careers. We cover topics including doctor well-being, career, and life outside of medicine. My name is Dana, and I am your host for this podcast. Are you ready for a healthy dose of support, motivation, and inspiration? Then let's start this episode, stack. Hey guys, hope you're having a beautiful Easter weekend. I am very excited that this is our second episode for the month of April. We are now doing fortnightly episodes instead of monthly. So make sure you mark your calendars or even better subscribe to our email newsletter and we will let you know when new episodes come out. So today we have Dr. Michaela Seymour, who's a general surgical registrar at Sunshine Coast, talking about the charity work that she does at Papua New Guinea. So if you have always dreamed of working with Doctors Without Borders or some other charity organization, today Michaela is going to be talking about that and why you should start straight away. Hi, Michaela. Thank you so much for joining us on Junior Doctors' Corner. Um, To start off with, for the benefit of those who don't have the pleasure of knowing you already, can you please tell us a bit about yourself? So my name is Michaela Seymour. I'm a general surgery PHO
1: or unaccredited registrar up at the Sunshine Coast University Hospital. Um, I graduated from Griffith University in 2015, so I'm PGY4 or postgraduate year four now. Um, I did my internship at Redcliffe. I then applied for a surgical residency at the Royal Brisbane. Uh, About six months in, I then went up to the Sunshine Coast to do the Gen Surge PHO job, and I've been there ever since. Um, But I think probably why you invited me here and what the audience probably wants to know is a little bit about my medical side hustles. Yes. Um, So I do medical volunteering in the South Pacific, um, namely in PNG, and I've been there about eight times now, so eight medical trips since 2015. Um, uh, mainly in Western Province, and I have this awesome job with Griffith University helping run their um, medical school placement program um, in Western Province at Keunga District Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do a little bit with the Army Reserves, so I'm the medical officer for an infantry unit in Southeast Queensland, um, and then I also do a little bit with the Junior Medical Officers Forum of Queensland, some pre-vocational accreditation work for interns, and then some advocacy stuff with amaq cdt so the council of doctors in training um otherwise
0: it's just me and my houseplants at home and that, that sums me up pretty well well that's a lot to sum up you're a very busy lady by the sounds of it and thank you so much for making the time to um do this interview with us so what attracted you to the, your medical side hustle in the first place So it was actually a bit of an
1: accident, um, and friends listening will laugh at me because I always say everything in medicine is a bit of an accident, but I think the best things always end up happening unexpectedly. Um, It was actually my medical elective in 2015, so at the end of um, medical school at Griffith in fourth year, you can choose to go into an elective. At that time, I actually thought I wanted to be a rural GP. Mm-hmm. So I was lining up to do Akram, and I had some um, family friends who um, had relatives working in Moscow and Russia who set me up to go and do some rural GP work um, in rural and remote Russia. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, well, it was going to be really cool. But um, Russia, unfortunately, invaded the Ukraine, and <laughs> Griffith has this crazy rule that you can't go places that are actively at war, okay. like, you know, nuts. QRME, so Queensland Rural Medical Education, who runs Griffith's rural medical school um, placements were offering a scholarship to study tropical medicine in PNG. Yep. Um, and at that time, they had one spot left. So I just threw my hat in the ring, not really knowing what to expect, um, and I was successful. Mm-hmm. And then I've just loved it ever since. That that being said, the first time I went to PNG, it was just a, a total shock. I mean, I never experienced anything like that before. Um, but um, after working there, spending some time there, I just – just fell in love with the place.
0: So can you please tell us a bit more about your work, um, the work that you do in PNG?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I originally went as a medical student um, and studied at Kianga District Hospital. Mm-hmm. So um, what that involved was studying under the doctors there, um, learning about tropical infections, TB, leprosy, malaria, um, and just how to manage... Um, in, in low-resource environments. Mm-hmm. Since then, I've been back with a couple of different groups. So um, my first trip back as an intern was actually with a group called YWAM. So they're a Christian-based group, but they take nurses and doctors around to remote PNG um, village locations to deliver primary healthcare. So that was a fantastic experience, literally turning up in the middle of nowhere, unexpectedly as the first um, doctor to ever visit these villages. So a lot of the time you spend the first sort of 10 minutes actually explaining what a doctor was yep. before opening your clinic for the day. Um, mm. So that, that was really cool. Um, and then since then, I've been helping Griffith run their medical student program. So I get to go back to Keunga Hospital a couple of times a year um, with groups of medical students um, and liaise with groups back in Australia, so Rotarians Against malaria um, multiple um sort of charity groups that help support our work at, at the hospital there so yeah it's it's been pretty cool something totally unexpected um, as a general surgery registrar you don't yeah. really think too much about malaria in yep. tv
0: in your day-to-day work yeah. so
1: yeah so
0: what's the coolest case you've seen so far
1: that's a really good question so probably to set some context the first week i was in png <laughs> the very first ward round I was on it was the first and last time I think I've blacked out ever in medicine. Oh. Um, so we were on the ward round and the senior doctor there sort of called us over and said, you know, Australian students, you'll find this really interesting. Michaela, can you examine the patient? And I was removing a dressing mm-hmm. and realised that it was this horrible gangrenous infection. And oh, you know, in way. your Australian mind you're thinking, is this, you know, diabetic infection? <laughs> What's going on? Until you realise that this guy's foot is actually being eaten away by leprosy. This, oh, this poor man. Luckily, the patient found it quite humorous. I was just mortified. Um, but I think that was my not-in-Kansas-anymore moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things, things were definitely really different. Um, but since then, I mean, um, I think people in Australia have this perception of PNG as being really dangerous and remote. Um, But once you get out of the cities in PNG, people are just so generous and welcoming. Um, And I've been lucky enough to do a lot of uh, remote trips to villages um, doing primary health care. And, you know... It's, it's just people are just so thankful that you're there and they just shower you with gifts and um, they just want to, you know, make you meals and make you so welcome. And it's always a bit um, – I always feel embarrassed because it's something that we just expect in Australia as universal healthcare, that we're going to get vaccinations and antibiotics when we, you know, get an infection, yet they're just so grateful that we've bothered to go there. But, I mean, it's not – not without hiccups. I mean the first rural patrol I did, um, I sort of got signed up. There was a measles outbreak. Oh no. And none of the healthcare workers um, wanted to go because they were worried about their vaccination status. Right. So because I was an Australian, they said, Oh, yeah. your vaccines should yeah. be good. Yeah, you'll yeah. be up to date, yeah. you'll be safe to go. So I was yeah. like, Of course, that's fine. Yeah. Um, and they said, Oh, don't worry, it's just down the highway. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, down the highway, a little air-conditioned trip. So um, <laughs> after about three hours and sort of a bumpy cruiser without any seatbelts, we sort of got dropped off at the side of the road um, at this village. And I was like, cool, like, let's get cracking. We've got all our, you know, UNICEF cold chain esky boxes here ready to go. Yeah. Um, and they said, oh, no, no, this, this isn't the right village. I was like, oh, what do you mean it's not the right village? (laughs) Um, So then, like, these half a dozen guys turn up that I've never seen before in my life to carry our esky boxes and they say, oh, it's just a little walk. It's just a little walk through the bush. And I was like, oh, that might be pleasant, like a bit of a hike. Nine and a half hours later... (gasps) With sort of knee-deep mud, um, we arrived at this village, like, as the sun is setting, and no one had told them we were coming, so the radios had been down, um, unfortunately, for the aid post, and the aid worker that was there had had to leave with a different patient, so no one had known we were were arriving, so all of a sudden this white woman just appeared out of the bush, like, covered in mud... Cycle um, so was like just bulk chaos. Um, but, yeah, it was just the greatest experience. And then since then I've just been hooked on on that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that being said, like, it's, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. Mm. I mean, there's been a lot of hard times as well. Mm. So it's a lot of uh, babies we've lost to malnutrition, um, kids that I couldn't refeed appropriately, or by the time they got to us they were just already in heart failure from malnutrition, um, mm. a lot of children with cerebral malaria who, you know, that ethical dilemma of we've we've saved them, like we've given them the appropriate medication, which is great, or I've been able to get them to uh, the hospital, but then, you know, living with that severe disability. Mm. And I think um, it's really hard thing to explain to a mother, um, you know, what that's going to mean. And, and in that rural PNG context where there's just no services, no support, what's life going to mean for a kid that has severe cerebral malaria? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of babies that we haven't been able to resuscitate because, I mean, Mm -hmm. all you've got is you and your bag valve mask. Um, So that's always really sad. Um, And, yeah, just um, the number of patients coming in with multi-drug-resistant TB um, or just things that we could so easily fix in Australia, like... Mm -hmm. um, that just always um, really, I guess, hurts to see. And they're the patients you think about, you know, If you, they're the ones that keep you awake, you know. Like if yeah. I had a CT scanner, could yeah. I have done something different? Yeah. Um, or, you know, if we had access to chemotherapy, could yeah. things have been different? Yeah. Um, but a lot of the time just, you know, sitting with that patient and, and trying to work out what the best thing you can do in those circumstances is. So, yeah, um, yeah a, a lot of... Um, awesome wins and and really big highs and um, feeling like you've really achieved something monumental yep. and then those really low lows as well being like you know um, PNG is only four kilometers away from Australia and you know you're thinking about what I can access in my hospital at school uh, Sunshine Coast sorry compared to um, what little I can offer there um, mm-hmm. can sometimes get you down as well so I think that's just the nature of anyone that works in that sort of environment as you can tell them a, a bit of a. Adventure medicine, (laughs) low-resource medicine, tropical health junkie. Um, But it's actually pretty amazing how many people out there are interested. So uh, on my last trip, I was sort of in rural PNG and an ADI, so Australian Doctors International. um, Doctor came through, and I was sort of used to seeing ED doctors and GPs in that capacity, and I got chatting to him, and he was a surgical registrar from Adelaide who just had this passion for TB um, and was there helping with the polio vaccination campaign. So. Um, unfortunately PNG has had this resurgence of of polio um, which is really sad probably from the oral uh, polio vaccine so um, the the big focus at the moment is trying to get out to those communities and vaccinate those kids and the surgical registrars out there doing it and helping out so there's really a place for everyone in tropical medicine if that's what you're interested in um, yeah don't don't let anyone tell you that it's not in your specialty because yeah anyone can
0: do this kind of work. How do you deal with all that um, frustration or setbacks Mm. that inevitably come up because you're working in a low-resource environment?
1: Yeah, Um, that's that's a really good question. I think I deal with it a lot better now than I did before. Um, So, the first time I went to PNG, I went with this great group of students. There was three others, um, and we had a neonatal resuscitation that we worked on this baby for seven hours. Oh,
0: wow.
1: Um, so we were just there all night. Um, and sort of being a more senior doctor now, knowing what I know now, mm. um, that baby probably probably was never going to be resuscitated, mm. um, but – when you're by yourself I mean in Australia you're never in that position there's always someone else to call there's always someone more senior mm-hmm. um there's always a group of people you can um, rely on to make that sort of decision um so when you're faced with that now usually in PNG or in these sort of settings you are the most senior person as a healthcare worker or volunteer going in um So I think I just need to a lot of the time rationalise it in my mind that, you know, this is what I've got to work with. Um, No one's expecting me to, uh, you know, achieve miracles here. Um, And I think... A lot of the time it's just trying to realise, like, if if you weren't here, what would happen? Yeah. Um, so with that knowledge, I think most of the time you can sleep at night. Um, I mean, there's always room for trying to reflect on what you yeah. can improve on and, yeah. and how you can make those situations better. Mm. But um, I think just, just realising that... If you weren't there, this is how the natural history would play out anyway. So just trying to say, well, what is it that, that I can add here? You know, I'm, uh, what am I bringing in? I'm, I'm actually achieving this and keeping your perspective of, of what good you are doing so that when you have those situations, um, then they're not quite as crushing. I mean, they're no. always going to be tough no matter no matter what, you know, in that sort of circumstance, it's always going to be tough. Um, but, yeah, just, just trying to realise that you – are providing benefit to that community uh, it's just in that circumstance you, you couldn't achieve the outcome you wanted um, and I have a great support base back in Australia you know I can text registrars or mm. consultants from different specialties when I'm over there just yep. asking questions and things mm-hmm. and, and a lot of the time they provide a lot of support and backup saying yeah what you did was the right thing okay um, cool. But it gives you huge respect for our colleagues. I mean, junior doctors in PNG are out there by themselves making mm-hmm. these decisions all the time um, and they're just doing it day in, day out and taking on that responsibility. So it gives you a lot of respect for rural doctors yep.
0: working in these sort of third world settings. You mentioned a bit about how it, it, it is really tough to try to communicate to a mother that mm. the child has something that's um, either terminal or permanent, mm. um, such as... Cerebral malaria mm. um, I imagine there's a bit of a Cultural and language Barrier, yeah. you know, being yeah. Australian Going over to another country mm. How did you overcome that? Um, yeah Absolutely uh,
1: So, um, luckily English is One of the three languages of PNG Most pe- people speak top person, mm-hmm. um, And I tried my best to learn As much as I could um, Obviously I'm, I'm <laughs> not really good but um just as a sign of respect and to mm-hmm. try and communicate um as well as i can with patients um most of the time it's using translators okay. um and not professional translators either right. so um obviously in our context in australia that would be huge red flags for confidentiality Yeah, um, yeah. but um unfortunately we just had to do the best we could so mm-hmm. um other patients other relatives um any healthcare worker who spoke either their native language or Tok Pisin would come in and help us translate. Mm. Um, and in somewhere like PNG that's so culturally diverse, that was luckily quite acceptable because there's something like 800-plus languages, so wow. they're quite used to having middlemen translate. Right. Um, I think culturally it was a, l- a little bit difficult, one, um, being a woman. Yeah. So in a, in a society that is very much run by men, right. Um uh, it was It's very interesting um, that uh, as, a, as a female, they wouldn't necessarily want to take my opinion, right. but they respect my education.
0: Oh, right. So,
1: um, you know, you'd have to say, I'm a doctor, I've been to university, and then yeah. all of a sudden they'd be like... Right. Okay, okay. Now we're interested in what you have to say. Before, <laughs> before we didn't care because you were just a white merry woman. But now, okay, we're interested. Um, but then there's also that weird guilt as well um, coming in as a as an Australian. Um, people have this perception that oh, Australia is better. Right. Um, so you have to say, well, no, not necessarily. Like the local doctors here are actually doing a really good job, mm-hmm. um, and I'm here, especially when I was a medical student. Yeah. I'm here to learn from them yep. and their expertise. Mm-hmm. Um. So just not trying to to get out of that mindset of being sort of, um, I guess, white saviour coming down from Australia to, you know, deliver all this stuff to, you know, rural Mm. PNG, um, Mm. that you're actually there to help the existing infrastructure and trying to enforce what's already there. Um, So I think that was probably the biggest cultural thing, um, just making sure that you don't come across as a sort of know-it-all, I suppose.
0: (laughs) okay so that's really interesting and um, something I guess uh, anyone who is new to w- doing work in PNG or wanting to do work in PNG they should keep in mind of. Um, what's your advice for medical students and junior doctors who are interested in undertaking this kind of work?
1: Um, well firstly if you're interested you should absolutely do it that's if, if you're sitting there thinking about your medical elective and you want to go to a developing country with developing health infrastructure, Just do it. Like make that jump. Just go. It's going to be an incredible, incredible experience, um, and pretty life-changing in terms of your clinical judgment and acumen, and and how you're going to proceed as a doctor. Um, I think lots of people approach me when they hear that I've done work in PNG and. I think by virtue of the work that we do, we're a really caring and selfless profession and people have an interest in global health inherently just by virtue of the kind of people that we are. Mm. So people are always coming up to me saying, oh, I'm really interested in what you want to do and and it's always something I've thought about Mm. and we glorify the MSF doctors. They're doing those incredible things. Um, So if you're interested, my advice is just just do it. Um, I think the thing... I hear most often, though, is, oh, I'm waiting until I'm a specialist because uh, then yep. when I'm qualified, I'll have something to offer. Yeah. Um, and th- there's certainly a place for that. Um, there's nothing There's nothing wrong with that. But I think just to, um, I guess, throw a spanner in the works, is just to think about, you know, when you are a consultant, when you are a specialist, it's not going to be any easier to go overseas and, and do this kind of work. I mean, you're going to have... Family commitments and work commitments. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not as if you become a specialist and all of a sudden you can go and do all these amazing <laughs> things you want to do. Um, and I think the other thing which always strikes me about that comment is um, just thinking about the nature of the environment that you want to go work in. Um, if it is a developing country or if it's somewhere like PNG, then going along as a specialist who works in Australia that has all these amazing skills. Um, Might be well and good, but if they don't have the um, infrastructure, equipment, or Mm. um, support staff, like an ICU, for example, to help you do that, um, it it kind of becomes a little bit um, superfluous. It's kind of unnecessary. So, um, in a lot of places in the world, and especially in the South Pacific, they just need people who have. Um, sort of our level of medical education um, to go in and support health infrastructure just to really, um, I guess, provide accountability and um, good medical practice. Mm-hmm. So if it's something you're interested in, I would employ you not to just wait until you're a specialist. Um, if, if you're keen to go, I recommend looking into it now if you are thinking of going to a de- developing country, my advice would just be think very carefully about where you're going and who you're going with. Yeah. Um, I know uh, there's quite a few companies now that offer that sort of, um, third world or developing, um, health, uh, industry experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and just be very, Uh, careful about where your money's going and make sure it's transparent. So, you you know, you hear those horror stories about people making quite a lot of profit out of medical students going overseas, which I don't think any of us actually intend to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing I'd say is don't work outside your scope of practice. I mean, you sort of hear those horror stories of medical students doing operations by themselves and delivering (laughs) babies and all sorts. Um, If you're going somewhere where you're going to be the most qualified person as a medical student, that probably should be a red flag. Yep. I mean, um, when you're going into these places, you're going in there to learn. You're not going in there to sort of be the top dog. Um, if, if you're a junior doctor or a medical student and you're the most senior person, something's probably not right. Yep. Um, and just think about the impact that you're going to leave behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when I went to, to PNG for the first time, it was really to learn tropical medicine and to learn from the doctors that were there. And that was really the the huge benefit I got out of it. Mm. Um, I mean, we did a lot of work for that hospital and I would like to think that um, we, we did a lot of good while we were there. Um, but it's certainly about uh, reinforcing the infrastructure that's already there. So you don't want to be going somewhere randomly to set up a clinic that you're only going to be there for three weeks and then leave again, um, unless that's a program that's going to mm. keep reoccurring. Um, so just think very carefully about the ethics of, of what you're going to do um, before you do it. But um, yeah, if you're considering it,
0: I definitely, definitely would make the leap. so cool.) Um. That's really good advice. Thank you. Um, And speaking of working with infrastructure that's already there, um, I remember you tweeted a couple of weeks back about um, if anyone had any solutions to the hand-washing problem over there. Did anyone come up with anything? Um, (laughs) Sort of, actually. I love love Twitter.
1: Like, people just come out of the woodworks. Um, So apparently um, the WHO does have this... um, if you it's it's sort of claw hex based but you get the super concentrated claw hex that you then dilute down but Mm -hmm. then you've got to wash your hands first anyway so unfortunately it's just me still bringing over suitcases of soap and (laughs) trying my best um but no it's um people just come out when you tell them you're doing this sort of work people just come out of everywhere to help you like you just wouldn't expect so um we do have some cool plans to try and get some of that um who type hand hygiene going yep. um, but yeah, watch the space probably yep. the next medical students will be my guinea pigs for <laughs> <well, laughs>
0: instituting that in Kionga
1: <laughs> sounds good, I'll be
0: watching your tweet <laughs> okay, so you're, you're obviously a very, very busy woman juggling so many things your, your main work as a surgical <laughs> unaccredited registrar and your medical side hustle um, what's the one thing, or it can be more than one thing, um, that keeps you sane in your crazy busy life how do you even find time to do it? So <laughs> yeah, I, sometimes I don't even know myself. I mean, I'm,
1: I'm a big fan of the podcast. So I've been listening to everyone else's advice and yeah. I'm like, Oh, that's such good advice. <laughs> um, so I can't steal any of those things have already been said. Um, I think the thing for me, um, is perspective and that's mm-hmm. going to sound weird in all over a little bit. Um, sometimes I have days that are just hectically busy and you know, you just don't even stop for a drink, but. I just love every moment of it. And then there's other days which are exactly the same and I just feel totally spent and Mm. just fed up. Um, And I've been reflecting on what is it that makes those two days different when it's the same amount of work. Mm. Um, And and I think it is about perspective, about having that um, reason for being there. You know, when we all start medical school, we go to those interviews and give those silly answers about wanting to help everyone um, and, you know, I'm here to help people. But I think... um, A lot of us are actually driven by that, um, and I think we just really start to lose track of that going through medical school and all the exams and all the paperwork and everything else that happens in your junior doctor years. Yeah. And you start to feel like the most important thing is to get all the jobs done for your registrar, for your Mm. boss, um, when really... I think reflecting now, I realise, and, and this is with my juniors as well, the interns and the, the residents are the most important people on the ward. They're the people that the patients see the most often. They're the people that explain what's going on. Yep. I mean, patients see us for a couple minutes a day. Yep. Um, but to have that reason in the back of your mind about why you're there. Um, so I've started in my practice now on afternoon ward rounds, I will sit down. One, because I've been in surgery all day, so I'm just sitting yeah, down is yeah. like a great luxury. But if you've sat down with a patient, you know, it's going to be really awkward if you talk for 10 seconds and leave. Like yeah. you're sort of committed then to being there yeah. for at least a minute. Yeah. Um, and patients really appreciate that. And it also is just really good for me because I remember why we're doing this. Yeah, um, I mean, medicine is just this amazing job where you get to do all this, this stuff to, to people to help alleviate their suffering and, and improve their lives. But at the same time, it takes – a lot away from us yeah um and i think just having that moment where you sit down and you engage with your patient and remember the why um and and your purpose why you're here really goes a long way to um helping you keep sane and on track and remembering what it's all for yeah so that that would be my advice
0: I mean, we as I don't know, for some reason, I think that um, type A personalities are very attracted to a medical career and most of type A personalities tend to be very goal-oriented yeah. people um, yeah. and often we're so laser-focused on that end goal that, that we kind of forget why we Absolutely. even started in the first place. And, and we love a good checklist. Um, <laughs> things like, yeah, I, I mean,
1: there's no um, tick box for, You know, your patient being happy or or having a good understanding of what's going on, or their family feeling reassured or or confident in you. I mean, that's not something that's on your jobs list. (laughs) But, um, I think that's something that actually brings us the most satisfaction. Yeah. So even, um, and, and I think juniors, like, I certainly didn't appreciate how important I was as an intern because um, you, you sit down with the you know the wives and the children and the family and you explain what's happening. Yeah. And you know it's not the consultant. I mean, the, the plan's coming from them, but you're the one that they see as their doctor because you're the one they see. So um, my advice for junior doctors out there is just to remember how important you are to your patients, um, and you make a huge difference to them every day. Um, and just, you know, even if you're getting a thousand phone calls, if you can just get a nurse to hold your phone for 30 seconds while you talk to the patient,
0: yeah.
1: it, it makes a huge difference to them and mm. it makes a huge difference to you as well. Mm. So, yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us, Michaela. Awesome, thank you very much for having me. If you really like that episode, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to help a sister out. And don't forget to subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode.